You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. What's in your mug? Well, I'm actually drinking some tea. And then I have my water. I just drank a Red Bull earlier at my training session, so I thought that I might just not take another one to be like too hyper for this interview. So <laughs> so that's not a front because you folks over the big pond that are sponsored by Red Bull, that is sort of your pre-workout of choice, Red Bull? Like that yes. will be what you would do before a workout? Yes, yes, I will use that. I mean, it depends on what kind of workout, but usually that will be what I will do. What size can are you drinking? The 8-ounce, the 12-ounce, 16-ounce, 20-ounce? What are we going well, with? Well, actually, in Denmark, we usually only operate with the 8-ounce, which is kind of, you know, the smaller version. Because we have some, like, caffeine limit, so, like, the bigger ones is... Uh, and I think maybe it's just... Uh, I think it's enough with the 8-ounce. I think that's a good, you know, amount. That's not so, enough. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> we were down visiting family for the last almost two weeks, and... I got Lisa a Red Bull, mm-hmm. and her dad looked at her and said, oh, you're not going to drink that, are you? Yeah. You can't have a Red Bull, and he's sitting here with a 20-ounce Mountain Dew in his hand. <laughs> and it's to the point in our country where Red Bull is seen as more poisonous than Mountain Dew to a lot of people. Yeah. So being someone who, you are a Red Bull athlete, right? Yes, yes. I how, yeah. how does Red Bull stack up against the other energy drinks and and pre-workout mixes um well i think they're doing quite good in like the danish and scandinavian market i think there's been a little bit with the all these bcaa energy drinks you know Mm -hmm. with noco and some of these more like healthy because yes sometimes red bull has had the reputation of being you know because it has sugar also so people want like the light version or something without sugar but is there anything other than sugar that people would be against in there i don't know the ingredient profile of red bull you have like the the taurine which is in it which is the one that kind of it's actually something that's naturally found in your body but that's the thing that kind of makes your heart rate just like be a little faster which is the thing that like simulates the adrenaline that makes you feel like super ready like to fight so i mean that's that's kind of the thing it has like, I like that feeling it just makes you a little bit more fresh than you know but actually the amount of caffeine in red bull isn't that high people usually no, it's think not. it's super high but it's like a cup of coffee and sometimes they're like oh you're gonna drink that that's like so much caffeine i'm like mm, have you had coffee today yes oh well then actually drank exactly the same amount it's less i would even argue yeah, especially if you do like double shot espresso thing. That's uh, so, but I think it's, I like the combination of the sugar and the caffeine at once. I think that's what gives me that, you know, uh, a little extra gear for my training. I want to know, I didn't know this, um, this, you said within like caffeine limits over there. So you don't yeah. have options for larger energy drinks. What are those? Cause I didn't know that was a thing. It is actually a thing. The regulation has become a bit less strict, though, recently. I also think it was first in 2011 that Red Bull was actually allowed in Denmark. So it was kind of, you know, it hasn't been on the market for that long. And uh, so it's funny because in Sweden, the caffeine limits are much higher, you know, and usually we're kind of the same across Scandinavia. But uh, we do have something with the amount of 
yeah, caffeine you can have per milliliter of uh, yeah drink. So there's also something with how concentrated it is. So um, hmm, I'm not totally sure. I think it's maybe 130 milligrams of caffeine per eight ounce. That's like the limit. But I'm not. Don't tell me about that. It's something around that. But that's also I would say quite a lot. Everything so. here now is like 300 milligrams per 16 ounces. Like bangs yeah. rains any a shock any sort of energy drinks yeah. like 300 milligrams yeah. like your hair is going to stand up after that yeah i actually have a shock in in this today i don't okay. even know what a shock is it stands for adrenaline sounds... shock adrenaline <laughs> shock it was like but the name sounds like <laughs> intense <laughs> but i have to cut it so i t- i had half of it yesterday cut 50 okay. percent with water and then the mm-hmm. second half of the can today yeah but are you familiar with Christian Blumenfeld? Yeah. I was watching one of his videos. He ran like 1350 on the roads a year mm. ago or whatever it was. But right before or after he's sitting down with his friends, he's like, yeah, I had like six bowls right before this race. He's a Red Bull athlete. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now it makes a little more sense if he can only have the eight ounce version. Yeah. Six is still a lot. Yes. But. Yeah. It will be the smaller ones. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I want to know, because you're back home now. Um, yes. But you were over here in the U.S. for a while. How how was your trip over, Ida? How was it? Oh, well, the trip was really good. I had so much fun. I mean, I always love coming to U.S. I've actually lived in Maryland when I was younger due to my dad's job. So I have some kind of connection, I think, of just liking to be in the U.S. There's something a little bit familiar with it. I also have a little bit of family uh, around New York. So... Um, yeah, I love uh, coming to U.S. and also after having had a lot of years competing a lot across Europe, it's also really cool to come and, you know, to come to the big uh, U.S. competitive uh, market and, you know, see how you can do there. So uh, me and Leon was there together. Of course, you know him. Um, and we actually planned the trip kind of a long time before we actually did the trip back when the Spartan race only had the U.S. National Series. And the plan was to go and do like two U.S. National Series races because these were the closest one when it was still the Jacksonville one that was supposed to be the U.S. National Series. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of when we planned it all. Also, uh, Leon has talked a lot about the Savage race and because it sounded like it reminded a bit more of our European races. And I've seen a lot of the Savage race coverage and I just really, it's been like a bucket list race for me so i really wanted to do that one for a long time also so uh it was uh yeah so the plan was to do uh two spartans and to do uh, the savage race and it was it was it was a little hard trip i must admit because of the traveling because we kind of started at the east coast and then travel all the way across we had a stop in colorado also to hang out with the vj for a short amount of time and uh, the guys living there. So it was kind of warm Florida for some time and then super cold Colorado in really high altitude and then, you know, back to LA. So so the trip was maybe a little bit uh, intense when you're like uh, racing back to back and it was kind of the start of the season. But uh, most importantly, we just had like lots of fun, also had a little bit of time to, you know, to be tourist. And it was really nice to hang out with the American OCR community. People are just super nice and really welcoming and just uh yeah it was just uh, it was a pleasure you also came over and cleaned house <laughs> almost <laughs> i think you want what you in three races in a row in seven days 
Yes, that's true. That's true. Yes. So that's um, but that's the funny thing with competing a lot in Europe, and there's all, always a lot of the American and Canadian, like North American competitors that I. I really want to race against, but it's just not that often that the opportunity is there. So I was really excited to do that. Usually we meet at the OCR World Championships and you kind of don't know where people are at compared to you. So it was also to kind of have an idea of, okay, where is my level at compared? Is it the running that I need to be more efficient at? Is it the obstacle efficiency? Like where is it that I should plan for the rest of my season to, you know, be a bit more focused on so because I really also use the races especially in the start of the season to like also have valuable information on well what went good what went bad how can we improve and just uh using it as good data you know to build <laughs> for the rest of the season what'd you find out well I found out that uh my running so I was also injured I know Leanna was also so we've been to uh uh unlucky uh, maybe he has been more unlucky than me that would say leanne but i fractured my navicula bone in my foot back in november 2020 so i had like a fracture but it's a kind of annoying bone to have a fracture in, in the foot it's not like doesn't heal fast no it doesn't heal fast and i've had a lot of just like scar tissue and things so like a lot of just uh mobility issues with the foot after so my back to running has been very gradually in especially in regards to running volume so i've had to build up like super slow so even coming back to from like the last half year of 2021 i was maybe only up to 30 miles a week of running um, so like a lot of alternative cardio and things because of like the pain aching up in the foot and, uh, kind of, you know, uh, just the load, there's been a lot of like load management in my running that I've had to take care of. But then since, uh, like mid December, actually after the Abu Dhabi race, um, I don't know what happened or if it just kind of became better, but I finally kind of got the possibility to notch up my running just a bit more. So I had like a good progression of three months uh, leading into the U.S. So it was nice to actually, because I've always, it's always been my running. I've been, you know, uh, a bit uh, um, telling myself, like, you can always improve on the running. You know, the running has always been my uh, my Achilles heel or what you call it. So kind of the place where I really wanted to improve because I don't have a running background and it just takes so much time to build that big engine and just for the body to get used to all the pounding and all the just uh, hard sessions so um yeah so to get into a really good steam of these last three months leading into us um where i've had to maybe been able to run 50 50 miles maybe a little bit more per week has just taken like my running to the next notch so that was really nice to feel really strong on my running and that i could you know power more through that especially when it's on the flatter runs because you know that's my usual terrain here in denmark so uh it's a bit harder for us to find the mountains uh, unless we want to visit sweden and norway all the time so that's well i'm glad you brought all this up because when i first heard of you we heard of you as this obstacle specialist from overseas. Mm -hmm. We didn't know what country you were from. We thought you were something Scandinavian. 
And then I was watching race coverage, and it's like, well, Ida, she's the running specialist, and obstacles have been her her handicap in the past, and I kind of uh, squinted at the screen. I thought, that well, that seems the opposite yeah. of what I heard. Exactly. Yeah. And, and part of it mm-hmm. is just, we don't see you a lot. And no. maybe whoever was speaking that day saw you at one race, whether it was, I don't know if it was an OCR world at, at the short course one year when everyone mm-hmm. struggled, but... I don't think people actually do know your background. No. We have a decent pulse on the sport, and I've heard two different things about you. I really just want clarity on that. <laughs> so I want to know what your background actually in sport is, because yeah. present day we look at you and you're accomplished OCR. You're sponsored by Red Bull, which is not just one of the easier companies to get sponsored with. You're always wearing Innovate. I assume you have some connection there. So like we see yeah. the, I don't want to call it a finished product because you're always improving, but we see now, but... In the U.S., we don't have a very clear image of where you came from. So no. that's, I kind of want to just jump back there, where sports started for you. Yes, um, and it is also, so sport, like the way sport is associated in Denmark and like many places in Europe is a bit different from U.S., so we don't have like sports as a very integra- integrated part of our school system. So it's something you do like in your free time after school is done. So you don't have like a local school football club. So getting into sport is something that has to be very much on maybe your parents' initiative or like them putting you into like the city's local football club or something like that. And usually in Denmark, when you started sports, when you're young, you either do handball because that's kind of our national sport or you do soccer. So those are like the two major things that uh, people used to do. So I play played handball when I was younger for maybe seven, eight years, all the way through, um, you know, uh, preschool and middle school. I think you're going to have to describe handball Hand- for, I was gonna ask uh, you yes. to do this for the audience. Yes. Okay, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's because it's our national sport, so for me, I think, like, everybody knows what that is. No, the only people who know about handball here are people that know someone who does it. Okay, okay. And it's generally if you post college basketball... Yeah. If you still want to compete, but you're not good enough to go pro, you take up handball and try to make the U.S. team. That's all <laughs> okay. we know about it. Okay, okay. There is a little bit of truth. Well, so it's a bit like basketball where you kind of bounce the ball across the field. So it's kind of uh, looks like a soccer field, but it's just much smaller. And then it's not on grass. It's like on hard surface. And then you have a ball, which is um, smaller than a football and a basketball that you can kind of you know bounce in your hand and then you are seven on a team uh, plus, um, plus with the guy that's on the goal and then you kind of just go against each other and then you try to score um, the goal there's kind of a little half circle that you can move to the other side of while you're playing but it's it's a very like high goal sports so you score like a lot of goals so you play two times half an hour and then you'd switch sides halfway through and you would often see like matches ending maybe 30 with 30 to 25 to 30 goals per team per match so it's kind of you know many goals that would be scored indoor soccer for us yes so it's a lot with like short interval sprints because the the field isn't that long so a lot of like short interval sprints a lot of like explosiveness in your legs from like the jumping quite high and then you know like power in your upper body arms to just like throw the ball really hard so i think that's maybe the kind of you know athletic 
assets you will get from from handball what are the what are the rules with like dribbling and because basically what you're doing is you're tossing the ball at the net with your hands and the net's yeah. not that big but you're in pretty close yeah. quarters so you have to be very accurate with your throw but what are the rules like with contact and then like any sort of dribbling i don't know those two two rules yeah so you can dribble three times and then you have to pass on the ball do you have to dribble as you're moving with the ball? Yes, you have to. Okay. Yeah, yeah. When you're moving with the ball, so you have to like you can take three steps and then you can kind of dribble and then you can kind of you know pass it on or you can like go up and, and shoot. So it's like a a free step and then like a pass and then you can of course if you run down the course then you can run three steps and then you can dribble and then you can run continuous. But usually you just dribble it all the way because that's faster and more like fluent uh, okay. to do that. What does the contact look like? That's what I want to know. Cause... It is, it's actually quite intense, the contact, I would say, because when people, you know, um, when you kind of uh, defend the goal, you know, you can kind of go into people. And of course, you can't put your arms straight on like their throwing arm, but you can definitely go up and kind of, you know, put your hand to the shoulder and the waist and you can get like a... Oh, pretty, you can. Okay. Like body intense um yeah so it's definitely a contact sport like you do get knocked down a little bit um a couple of times because when you kind of defend do the defense um against each other so um so it is uh yeah it is you have to be like really fast on your feet to kind of get past the people that are defending the goal because every like every time you go towards the goal is kind of a one-on-one in front of each other so one is defending one is having the ball trying to get the goal so you have to like be really fast because everybody has like one person that's focusing on you know covering the goal for that specific person if it makes sense (laughs) i feel like i'm making it sound much more complicated than it is (laughs) it's a lot like water polo on land where like there's that contact around there but it's combined with american yeah. Or basketball almost or, or soccer yes. and and yes. also lacrosse. It's 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 like all those sports mashed into indoor soccer. It's kinda cool to watch. It's very fast. It's very so like, fast. energetic and very big uh, fast sprints, high jumps, fast moves, like uh, you get fast feet. Mm-hmm. So to touch on one thing and then we're gonna and by the way, Bracken, that was a beautiful segue you made into getting into her backstory. We're getting good at this, <laughs> I think. Did you yeah. know? Did you know her backstory? No, I don't. Well, I'm actually. I will. I will just continue one last thing of my backstory because <laughs> there is one honest period of my uh, my life that I don't talk that much about, and that's when I then stopped with doing handball, which was when I started in high school, and then I had three, four years where I did a little bit of fitness, but to be honest, it was more about being a young person. In Denmark, I don't know if you know what we're like known for when we're young in Denmark, but we do drink a lot of alcohol and parties. So I had like a couple of years right there where sports for sure was not like a priority of mine and just in general not fitness was either. Then I had a little bit of time where I skied a lot because I was working as a ski guide for three seasons. Um, And then after that, I kind of went into university and then... I started being, or college, you would call it in the uh, U.S. And then I started being more, you know, serious with my athleticism again. And I also think that's one thing for me that's been a little hard with the mentality of un- 
understanding and accepting myself as a professional athlete because I did have like a late start into the, my OCR career. I started when I was 23 or four, I would say. So I've maybe been doing OCR for 10 years now. That sounds like an early start to me. Yeah, I mean, it, also when the when the sport is young, but also I think just the start of doing sports on a competitive level. Because even though I did handball, I was never like super serious about it, and I wasn't either super good at it. I'm not like a team sports person usually. I get like too mad at people. I just like it's just not good, you know. It's just it's better for me to do individual sports. I think, yeah. So. Um, I wanted to ask about your your high school thing real quick, um, yeah, or your, your your yeah that sort of thing with non organized sports affiliated yeah. with the school you're going to. Um, that's something I didn't know. Is that there's actually no? I don't know what you call it there if it's high school or what what you call it over yeah. there, but it is high school. Um, there's no school affiliated sports at all, so everything is Nothing. independent of that. Um, yes. Does that, do you see that translating to like lower overall sport participation amongst the kids? It's not like if you have money, you get to play sports. And if you don't have money, you don't get to play sports. Is there any of that going on or how does that work? No, because luckily a lot of this, of going, going to sports clubs in Denmark is really cheap because it's kind of a lot of it is uh, volunteers that kind of have a little fee, but kind of do it mostly just to, uh, as like a hobby thing but of course it being a hobby thing also makes the like seriousness of it a bit less so it it's more about just you know moving your body and being active more than it's about making it really competitive so you don't see it being super competitive at early stages as much as you would say in like um, the american school system and i think for example, especially for high school, because when you're that age, like 16 to 18, maybe doing sports isn't the most interesting things in the world because a lot of other things are happening. And I think if it was associated to the school, it would be much more a social thing and it would be more naturally integrated. So especially that period of time, you see very many like dropping out of sports. So you kind of do it until then, but then around that area, it's kind of more maybe few that are really serious about it but a lot of people just do it for fun and just less yeah competitive so i think for sure that it affects like the amount of people that really like is competitive about their sport um so so yes i think it does okay unfortunately yeah were there any signs early whether it's on the handball court or anywhere that you had some running in you more than just sprinting and fast feet not really <laughs> Really? <laughs> honest no i was actually not i was actually not one of the good ones at the team i was just the one that always was like uh, i really think i really wanted to be i was good at running i've always been like okay fast but i i don't think anybody like spotted me to be any like kind of talent or something in particular well the story usually goes if i look back it's yeah i at practice, I was always the one who would win our running drills, or yeah. I ran to or from wherever. Like, wh yeah. what is that in your history that you look back and said, "This is why I've become a good runner," because I could see it then? Or do you really not have any hint that that was coming? 
No, not really, actually. I've always liked running and it's like been a part, but it's I've never been like, but I also don't see myself as a good runner, to be honest. I don't see myself as a good runner compared to many other competitors I have in this sport. Like my running has become good within the last four to five years. Mm -hmm. That's where my running really has started. Before that, it's been very low volume and just not that um, structured either. It's been like some periods where then I sign up for a half marathon and then I focus on it like three months before that. And then after that, I was like, I'm not going to run for the next half year because that was really hard, you know, something like that. So it has taken, you know, I, I think it's a lot about... I wasn't, I've never been really passionate about running before I found like this good structure and flow and actually just, I really love running now because what it like gives me, I've kind of found like, one thing is it makes me just like escape from like the busy day. That was what I used it a lot for in the store. So this kind of escapism of just, you know, all the thoughts and all the things that was what I used it for a lot in the start. And then it became also about, you know, pushing my limits because I am quite competitive and kind of figuring out, okay, where can I go? Can I run a half marathon? Can I run a marathon? Can I do like some more bigger races? And then, yeah. And then now I use it for lots of different things also to like just explore. I love to do these explore runs when I come to a new city, just like especially because we do travel a lot with OCR, just like run around in a new city when you come and just using your feet to get around and things like that. So I think it's given me some other really good joys that I've kind of found out now the way I use my run. So that's also why it's more natural for me than it has been in the start, because before it was usually a force or if I'd sign up for something in particular and then I was stubborn enough because I was like, well, now I signed up for this race and I pay for it. So now I'm going to, you know, train for it to not be mm -hmm. totally bad at it. Uh, but it hasn't really been any time in my early child. A lot of my friends that know me from, for example, high school is like, we would never have thought you had been an athlete. Like a lot of people do tell me that <laughs> a lot of people like you've always had this like surplus of energy in general. I've always been like a very energetic person so it's like well it makes sense you use it for something like sports but it's just they didn't think that was where the direction was heading when I was younger so not even my parents they were also it was me wanting to be competitive when in OCR in the start they were more just like well you do this thing you're quite good at it but it wasn't them being like oh, maybe you should do it more seriously or maybe you should it's lots lots of that has come from like myself just being wanting to do more with it mm. were you a good partier for those four years, would you say that you're <laughs> yes. one of the better ones there? Oh, yes. Yes, I would say okay. I was the, the one of those that are thrown out of the club when it closes <laughs> at five. Like, <laughs> you you stayed till the bitter end. Time's huh? up, you know. Yes. So uh, I only know two Danes, and they yeah. both have a surplus of energy. Is this is this yes. a countrywide <laughs> thing, or are you are you two just a bit of a, an outlier? I don't know. Uh, maybe a little bit, I would say. Have you met Nikolai also? He's also... He's the other Dane, I know. Okay, <laughs> okay. But Leon, you know, Leon. Leon doesn't count? Also like... Yeah, three. I know three. All three of you have energy. Oh, yeah, I mean, we're maybe a little more high energy. But in general, there there are a lot of like high energy people in Denmark. It's funny, yeah. There is, actually. <laughs> we're very like, outdoor, I think. That's maybe why. We are lazy people. <laughs> we really yeah. are. 
it really comes off as a stark contrast. <laughs> Talking to well, him, and he, he, what he did during COVID versus what most of us did, it's like, oh, I picked up another language, and I started yeah. instructing at the university, and I started another business, and then I went I over know. Well, Lian is also exceptionally impressive on that manner sometimes, I would say. He even makes me feel bad about not doing enough sometimes, you know? So that's how, and I do plenty, but, you know, when I talk to him, I'm like, how can you also manage to learn a new language? It's, like, super impressive. So, uh, yeah. So you played handball in high school. Yeah. Gave that up, started drinking, dancing, partying, <laughs> staying up late, which yep. I think everybody has that phase, and you eventually mm. got that out of your system. I mean, I'm sure that carried yeah. through once you transitioned to ski guiding yeah. and sport a little bit, but um, as it did for me too, but as mm. I transitioned there. But um, tell us about, so basically you went into school or out of school, decided not to go to university right away, Yeah, it sounds like. So you basically yes. worked a job and you partied? Well, and that, then... I was I was a ski guy for two years. So okay. some of it was skiing, some of it was drinking. You know, it was kind of a mix. And some of it was working. Yeah. You know? Okay, so, so you did that and yeah, so then you decided years, yeah. to go into university. Yes, exactly. Is that common? Yeah. Uh, yeah, over there. That is, it is quite common that that's the way you do. You especially like doing high school. It's not all that goes to university or like college, but university is free in Denmark, so that's very different than from the American school system. And we even get paid to take a university education, so we get money every month to stay and study, and we pay zero dollars to. To like, and okay, we pay for the books we buy, you know, for studying, but it's really like it's a very um, unique system and possibility. So I think that's why maybe more people in Denmark are prone to take a longer education because they're like, we have really good possibilities to take a lo long education and it's not gonna affect us financially for many years uh, after that. So I did not know that. No, that's and that's cool. not a bad system. No, that's not a bad. But we also pay extremely high taxes. So when we then are done with, uh, I'm an environmental engineer, and it's like a quite good salary you, you could get when you come out. But I would also pay between forty to seventy percent of that salary to the Danish government Oof. in taxes, and all those money is then being distributed. For me, you know, to get free education, free health care, um, free school systems, all these general things that are nice to be free. So they're <laughs> then free. Yeah. Well, I just did my taxes. Yeah. I did not pay 70%. No, exactly. But I did have yeah. to pay for part of my university studies. All right. So yeah. you, you started ski guiding? Yes. That's yeah. not something you can do until you're very good at. Did you grow up skiing? Or did you learn on the job? Yes, I actually grew up skiing. I think that's why I have so, like, really strong uh, thighs, <laughs> like legs. I have super strong <laughs> legs. I think it's something, maybe it's also a bit of genetics, but uh, we've always prioritized this ski trip in my family um, over the, like, warmer trip. We've always traveled a lot, though, I would say, in my family. I've been very privileged uh, like that due to my dad working all over the world. Um, but we have skied a lot and I just love skiing maybe one, two trips a year since I was five years old. And then, um, yeah, when I got older, I was like, I want to ski all the time. And then I was a ski guide and that's where, you know, people come for weeks or you kind of help them with like, 
this is where you're gonna live and you show them the the pistes when you kind of you know ski around and things like that so uh it was very chillaxed and uh and nice and then i could be outdoor on the slopes every day and look at the mountains every morning so that was quite awesome yeah i like the i just like it when there's snow around me it's something super calming <laughs> so yeah all right so okay that makes sense and then you did that then went back to university correct yes. went to school yeah. do you did you go to school full-time or did you work through that and were you running it all during that time yes yeah, so actually after one year into my university that was kind of when i started taking up ocr and did some of my first uh ocr races um and I still used a lot of time actually skiing when I had time back then, which was maybe more time I used to that. And then I started in this very unique little training center, which was called uh, Butts Boot Camp, which was owned by Icelandic people. And if you think that Scandinavians are tough uh, people, like the toughest of us are the people from Iceland, they're just like, insane these people so it was just it was this little center but the coaches and the people in there they were just like really hardcore training and they had not that much fitness equipment all they had was these like sandbags that they kind of have like gaffer taped with different colors so they had like different ways with these gaffer tape sandbags and we just ran around with these sandbags doing like all kind of exercises but a lot of it was actually like doing high intensity cardio and then doing like a body weight exercise or doing an exercise with a kind of not that heavy weight. So maybe 12, 15, 20 kilo sandbag. So without knowing it, training this for like four, two to four years was somehow a kind of good training for, for OCR because it was just like high intensity, then doing something with your own body and then high intensity. And we did a lot of like running, then going in, doing some push-ups, running, and then going in, doing some things with these sandbags. So, so it was kind of a little fundament built there without knowing it. And I just felt like it was super fun. We did some competitions in Iceland also, which was uh, very cool. How did you find such a, a, a unique setup like that? Yeah, but it was really a coincidence, actually, that I found this little center. It was just a local fitness center close to where I live. And then I saw people actually running around with these sandbags. I was like, what is this? And then I just, they had a little like January offer. And then I went in, you know, to my first session in there. <laughs> Ida, there are two types of people in this world. <laughs> yes. Most yeah. people are the first that will see it and turn away and think that's not good. <laughs> That's true. I just thought it was so cool. I was like so impressive and they were like running in rain and they didn't care about the weather and it was like, yeah. And I remember so clearly the first time I was there, we had these sandbags and it was just like little slippery wooden floor, but we had to push these sandbags like like with the floor length. You just like push them with like your hands down and like kind of like crawling manner. But I just, and we just had to push these sandbags forth and back and forth and back and doing all these crazy exercises. And it was the hardest one hour I've done of training in my life, that like very first training session when I was there. And I was a little scared of going to training the first nearly 
one year that I was in the center because every time I was like, oh, I hope that, you know, I will survive the training today because it was just always really, really hard. Also like mentally, but I somehow managed to, you know, power through it. And I think that's also where a little bit of like the stubbornness and toughness that kind of got me into it. And that was also where I met my uh, OCR coach that I've been working with since 2016. He was also training in the center and, uh, and then one day he was like, oh, they have these extreme runs. And he tried to explain to me what OCR was. Uh, where it's like, you have to run and then you have to like jump down from really high into the water. And then you have to crawl under barbed wire. And then you have to like lift all these things. And it was like, it just sounded really, you know, <laughs> scary. But he was like, yeah, we're going to do it together. It's going to be really fun. And uh, and then we did the first race together. And I, I had fun and I was surprised of, you know, all the things you actually had overcome from, you know, listening to what it was and be like, oh, I actually jumped down from three meters high into water. I did climb over a wall, you know, all these small things. And then I just kind of stayed in this, you know, Icelandic fitness center. So not training specifically for OCR for like one or two years. And then I kind of transitioned over to then training specifically for it. So I had the first couple of years doing OCR. I mostly just trained in this training center with the Icelandic people. And then I did a little OCR for fun. But then uh, I found out that I did pretty good uh, one year. Maybe it was in 2014, I think, uh, where I placed sixth in a Danish race. Not taste, not Still not taking it like super seriously by training specifically for OCR, but just doing this other kind of training on the side. And then I was a little intrigued, like, oh, if I actually, you know, focus on the specifics of OCR, then where would it go? You know, mm-hmm. back then I didn't even know how to do a rope climb, you know, remember doing a race, I was like standing a rope, like, what do you do? You know, it's like, how? So just getting some of those small techniques and things where it's just massive gains you could get by just, uh, being a bit more, uh, yeah, focused on what kind of obstacles it is you would meet and things like that. So, uh, yes. And then I just l- started doing it a lot, you know, and now I can't stop. It's, uh, it's, uh, I'm addicted now, you know, you're not alone. <laughs> no, I, no. Am I understanding different. this right <laughs> then? So you basically stumbled into a group fitness class, yes. but a very like niche high like yeah luckily stumbled as like a, a group fitness one. like class taker with the goal of just going and like being in shape in quotes and yeah. you happen to stumble into this facility in which then recommended a race you got plugged in with a good group of people and then ran with it but with no intent or knowing what was going to come out of that you just walked into the right door no in idea. the right gym and embraced it is that right that's very true it was like just a positive uh, um, row of just coincidence that just kind of made things. Oh, this is cool. This is cool. And then, yeah, I, I found OCR. <laughs> I just think it's important for people to hear this because, and and we've heard this before, Bracken, with people. We know you now, Ida. We didn't know you eight years ago, you know, when this was going on and just like we see all the top people in this sport and we're like, wow, they're so gifted or they have this or this is who they've always been. And, and I'm just getting into this in my thirties and I, I'm not who they are. And they don't see like most everybody has a story like this, unless you were an endurance athlete to start with, which you weren't. And that's about half of the good people in our sport. 
half come from an endurance background and then half come from some other background but make it work and it's just like you were like just going and you were proud you jumped over a six-foot wall and you didn't know how to climb a rope and a few races in you took sixth place but you had it's just like i think it's hope like that's hope for people who like everybody just sees the damn highlight reel and the finished product and they don't see the years of like growth and all that and so i just find that like super endearing like maybe somebody listening will stumble into the right gym someday it's very true and i would also say right when i started at this icelandic center just to give like an impression uh I could not do one single pull-up. It took me over a year to learn to do my first pull-up. And I could maybe do five to seven push-ups on my knees. You know, like that was kind of where my fitness level was at when I started, you know. So it's, uh, and that was back in maybe 2012. Uh, So that's maybe around 10 years ago. Uh, And I was, yeah, not, not a person people would expect to be an elite athletes some years uh, later and it's funny because i actually had a bit of time where i was a little you know embarrassed that i was actually doing really good in a sport and i haven't always been an elite athlete you know my whole life because i'm like oh all these other people that like ever since they're super young has been like dedicated and doing you know all what they've put their passion in it forever and i kind of you know stumble into it but then i just found out i really loved it and then I've just from kind of that moment dedicated what I've had into it. But I think, you know, um, I also kind of allowed myself to, to, I don't know how to explain it, but it's just um, now I'm looking at it differently, more like, well, I just took uh, what I could to kind of optimize really much because I just finally found something I was really passionate about. And I was like, okay, wow, this is just, something I would love to do every day and just um so I like I got myself a coach I like got running programs I looked up a lot of things I really just uh became really structured with many things so it's been it's been like a hard but really steep curve I've had but I've also really prioritized it super hard from when I then decided that this was something I really wanted to do more um and then you know it's never too late to follow your dream you know that's what i also found out you know if you're really passionate about it it doesn't really matter you know just uh, just do it and then you'll find out where it ends you know it doesn't have to be with winning the world championship title but as long as you're like happy and you have a really cool you know process and uh, you, you get some good experience out of it that's like what i'm mostly grateful for I can get on board with that. I think it's, Kirk, you already said this, but again, it's so important for people to hear. No pull-ups for a year. Yes. Five to seven on your knees push-ups. We see what you do now in races, and people and have to look and say. In maybe 25 minutes, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's the point. They see what you yeah. can do now on obstacles yeah. and on running. And it's, it's impossible not to think, well, she's special. She's gifted here, but that type of gift doesn't hide to the point where you can't do a single... It's not like you were a naturally, freakishly strong woman. You had to develop that. And so, like, yeah, running, you have your genetic stealing. We all we all have that. We run into it, and we just... We can keep improving, but we're not going Olympic level, and that's okay. But in terms of getting stronger and more fit and being able to move more athletically, you are that beacon of light that you can overcome a lot. 
to go from not one pull-up in a year to being someone who's considered an obstacle specialist and terrible conditions is still going to be able to make it through anything. That's that's a path anyone can take if they feel like putting the work in. Exactly. But what people didn't see was you put in years in the dark with these crazy Icelandic people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would also say I'm, I think I'm more dedicated than gifted. <laughs> you know, I'm that kind of athlete. Mm. I'm just like really, you know, I'm like, what does it take to get this done? Like, how much is it I have to do? And then I just, you know, go for it. It's like, it's also my coach when I talk to him sometimes, he's like, you're never super good at things the first time, you know, I kind of tell you, it's not like do this uh, technical obstacle and then it's like always the first time, oh, how, do, but then, you know, I'm just really like, I practice it and I practice it and I, because I think it's fun, you know, to learn these new skills and kind of, you know, uh, I like the learning curve and like the understanding process of getting through these things. I also feel like that's probably why I'm more an obstacle specialist because I just love those like challenges that the different obstacles are. And that's the really fun part for me. Um, not that running is not also fun, but it's just like the extra fun part. So uh, I just automatically end up using a little more time on doing that. Maybe a little too much time in the gym, some people would say. But, you know, you have to... Uh, also remember to make it fun and not only make it like uh, hard all the time. Kirk and I constantly hear the questions, I'm sure you do as well. People will make the statement or a question of something along the lines of, I know what I need to do, I just never get around to it, or I just can't get started, or I can't get momentum. Does that register at all for you, being the opposite person, or is there is this something that you can translate to other people that that missing piece of I'm more dedicated than talented most people have the opposite where I know I can do it I just never get started yeah I mean I always try to combine it with things that makes me happy you know so for example I'm a quite social person so if it's because there's something I feel like I'm a little it's a little hard to get started with then I know okay if I do it with somebody else then it's easier for me to get started so like uh, it's just um, having that little extra thing of you know not encouragement but the thing that makes you be a little more dedicated to what kind of thing it is for me it's a lot with like the social things it can also be that I like to see you know progress uh, kind of uh, fast so it could be me filming the first time I do a thing one time and then like okay, and I'm doing it every day for one week and then maybe after eight weeks I'm going to take a movie and then and then I can kind of see the pro like the progression and that's also very motivating for me so I think it's about finding that thing that motivates you it can also be if you need just like a break from I don't know not <laughs> your family I wanted to say but if you just need a break <laughs> on the day to just do something for yourself or just find like uh, find out the way that the thing it will make it like more motivating for you to do if it's to have some time for yourself or if it's to have some social time or if it's to see a progress in something or if it's to show off off your new gym clothes t-shirts that you tried uh, that you've received no. but it's just that's a good motivator for a lot of people <laughs> yeah i think maybe that's a, a way to um to make it a little more uh, yeah motivating and then there's also some things of just like I also have a lot of gym sessions where I'm like oh my god like my body it, it's not going to work today I can't do it all these things and then usually I just go to the gym 
And then it's just like slowly starting. Okay, I'm just gonna do like one set of squats or something. And then it's like, okay, the first one, it wasn't that bad. Okay, then I'm gonna do the next one. Just like, to just go there and just, you know, um, yeah. And that's a weird thing that works for me because then usually I end up doing most of the things I should do anyway. Uh, because then I'm like, well, it's not efficient. I went to the gym and then I just went home again, you know, and it's like, I have to get something out of it, you know? So, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's maybe. What is your recommendation? So, you mentioned something about like you try a new skill and you go back and you repeat it and you repeat it and you work on whatever skill that might be. Now, a lot of times I hear from athletes like, I don't have this, you know, obstacle at home or I don't have access to these things, right? A lot of times we don't have access to what we see in a race. Yeah. So what is your philosophy? This is just a quick sidebar before we continue your story. What is your philosophy on that? Like when you say you go and work something over and over again, do you have access to these things? And if you don't, like, do you have an overall theory on what people should be doing? I should also say I do have access to these things, but I've also not have had access to it always. And for me, I love to look at an obstacle and then like break it down. Like, okay, what kind of skills do I need to have to, you know, to be better at this? It could be like uh, the Irish bench or something, you know, there's many techniques uh, for the Irish bench that you can use. And then it's kind of working on these different parts of the movement, or it can be a wall. I've even like, I've been in the gym and just like run up the side of, you know, just the wall in the gym. And maybe people think you look stupid, but I've kind of wanted to practice my like set off on the wall mm. or like my, my jump or my landing, like reaching towards a pull up bar. But for me, it's being like, I actually like being creative with things um, to, to kind of break down the movement and maybe three different steps um, that I want to look at or something like that and then just practice that movement again and again and then once you get on the obstacle you just make it as close as you know it can be to the obstacle then it's much easier and you make it yeah it, it's it's going to be more natural for you of course it helps to train specifically on the obstacle but a lot of my grip or technical training is enough with just having a bar i can do like lots of movements where you move my hands around or i can use the dip bar and you know take my core up you know to kind of train for a low rig or if i just have a set of rings i can just swing in the two rings i don't have to have like a whole long row of rings i don't need a wall i can just use like the side of the wall in a gym or if i just especially if you have a pull-up bar you can do a lot of things uh, with that or hurdles you can just put up boxes or other things you can jump over i really feel like there's a lot or if you have like a playground i have like these weird things that if you have like small outdoor i see obstacles everywhere i think i'm a bit uh, you know i can always see like mm. oh maybe i can use that thing or if there's even a fence you know close by i can be on my run you know then hop over the fence like 10 times with, with the hurdle to just practice so just like integrating all these small movements i think is um is really a big part of my training i try to race simulate as much as i can of course in a manner that doesn't destroy my body but it's actually a very important part of my training to get these movements in and being very natural and 
just very integrated in my training so I don't separate my training a lot. I can be like a bit amazed when I, I don't know if it's maybe just the way people make it look on social media, but when I look sometimes at some of, it's not a generalization, I would say when I say this, when I look at the American athlete, I feel like a lot of them, they run and then they boulder, you know, that's kind of, you know, the two big things. And of course, both of these things are really good, but I'm also thinking, when do you practice like walls or when do you do like some of these, you know, other movements that you also can gain a lot of seconds if you can do a wall fast compared to like slow and if there are 10 of them there's a lot of time of catching up on these just maybe maybe even though they're basic obstacles they're still really important obstacles if they're especially when there are more of them but just in general it is places where you can gain a lot of time which i've had good success with yeah i want to test you real quick with your theory here <laughs> Uh, well, I, I like your theory about breaking an obstacle into like, let's say three different components. That's such a good, I mean, very simple, but it's a very good idea and it can Mm. run the gamut from a rope climb to a monkey bar to a wall. Just like you said, I just want to test you a little bit. So I am sick and tired of hearing about people bitching about Olympus here in, in the Spartan race. Everybody's got a problem with Olympus, right? Mm. So Mm. let's take you, Ida, and your three step approach if you were to break down olympus because i bet you half the people listening here have issues with it break it down for me if you were to train that without having access to olympus and then we'll get back to you what 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 would you say what would people what would you give people to do bracken i gotta imagine you hear this too right so it's becoming people's nemesis it is and so i'm just it's just my mind went there like let's let Ida help the people what would you do to break that one down because it's a tough one to simulate it is a tough one to simulate. So I would say there are two different techniques. So I would also, when I also look at the obstacles, also say there are different techniques. One technique I would say is the one where people kind of hold it in like a bicycle. So they're really close to the wall and kind of using their knees to support. And the other one is the one where you kind of have long arms and you kind of lean out and then, you know, push against the wall with your feet. Do you, do you get the two different oh, techniques? Yeah. Yes, so I would say one of them would be, for example, you know, to uh, take some rings or take like uh, on on a bar and then like kind of like try to lean back and like take the rings and then maybe cross from ring to a bar. So like you try to get this crossing hand movement. Um, Mm -hmm. um, You probably have to support um, either you can put like um, a like a really tight rubber band around the bar to put your feet on or you can maybe take like a bar or something like to set up to support your feet and then like try to practice this leaning back uh, movement it can also be something of if you have just like a long traverse um bar um if you can just try to you know be in for example like 90 degrees if you want to practice the more uh like the one where you're closer to your body and then maybe just like learn to traverse holding just like the lower, the rest of your body will just be hanging freely, but then just like practicing a 90 degree hold. But when you're then moving, you know, across the bar at the same time, um, I would say would be good exercises um, towards it. Something with gripping on different grips i know it would then require maybe for you to have some like nunchucks or balls or something but also something to get your grip used to like this shifting on not holding on to something that's very um 
like because there is like the climbing grips there's the holes there's the balls like maybe if you have something to hold on to different grips it can also be just like a lot of hand switches on a board to like get used to holding on on, on different grips uh, maybe use a towel or a a little like thing to like get used to like other kind of grips than the regular um, bar hold. So those will maybe be free exercises. Like some things you can be like, oh, maybe I look a little stupid in the gym doing this, but you know, that doesn't matter. People are just going to be like, whoa, what is it you're practicing for? And then you start a conversation. So don't be scared about that part because sometimes when you put up a lot of gear, people are like, what is she doing? Um, so, um, yeah, so something with that, there's also the feet movement, which could be really nice to simulate, but that is a hard one without having, you know, a good long path for your feet to transfer, traverse um, up on. I don't know if these exercises make sense. Well, it does. It absolutely does. You just thought about traversing sideways. And so we get yeah. comfortable leaning back while holding on to something and yes. then moving yeah, your the arms. Leaning back, holding across, on to something yep. would be one of them. Another one would be like traversing, being like up in like a 90 degree hold or 20, yeah. 120 degree hold. And then the last one would be like getting used to different kind of grips. Um, and then mm-hmm. like the simplest things is to people to take a, a towel with them because a lot of people have that. But if you have possibility of like, different grips that could be good either just for hang time or um yeah crawling using the bar maybe you know um like what you call the scaffolding or the bar Mm -hmm. uh, to lean the body a little up against um yeah i think that would be i don't know if i passed the test or if i didn't you well you did you broke it down into the components that's that's kind of the purpose. Yeah, climbing gyms would be the best place. So now, but now we took the gym options. But if you have a climbing gym, you know, practicing this long hold, and you know, like maybe if there's a sideways, uh, um, like it doesn't have to be like on a specific route, but if you can just find some grips, and then you can kind of try this traversing mm-hmm. um, movement would also be, because I feel like for sure the most efficient technique on olympus is the one where you lean back and you can hold a long uh, change with the balls usually it is in uh because then you can kind of you can switch your arms and you can get like long movements on that one especially if you kind of trust your grip of leaning back because then you can make much like longer takes and longer not takes like longer movements uh which will make you hang for less time and then you know you would save your grip um yeah but it's it's a good obstacle i love olympus that's always where i catch up time it's fun <laughs> it's my favorite <laughs> obstacle maybe i'm the only one that love it it's my favorite yes <laughs> so more of that one just make it long. 10 olympuses yeah <laughs> okay well i just wanted to yeah. test that theory out um yeah breaking it down like because most people would be like well i don't have access to any of that and then you think well actually you do you could get a trx strap and and get sideways for example you could yeah hold your 90 degree pull up and practice cross arming and you traverse the bar sideways i get it so that's a good example uh bracken do you want to continue the uh the old progression of Vita here yeah so how lo- how long were you in ocr of any sort of run racing before you had your first taste of success that first thought of this might be something i could be good at mm-hmm. i think um 
So I did a race in 2015 where I qualified for the OCR World Championships. Um, and when was your first race? My first race was in 2013. Okay, so you went two years before you qualified for a world championship. Yes, and then I qualified for the world championships. And um, I was just, um, you know, I didn't know exactly what it was back then and like how big the sport was and those things. But I was like, they just being qualified for world championships. I was like, that's insane. You know, it was just, I was really stoked. I was really so... I actually had a trip planned around the time that the OCR World Championships that I qualified for was. It was the one in Ohio in 2015. Um, but I decided to cancel that trip to then focus to go to Ohio to the OCR World Championships because I was a bit afraid that I was like, maybe I'm never going to get the qualification again. You know, maybe this is a one time life experience. I then ended up to going to the World Championships lots mm -hmm. of times, but I didn't know that back then. Um, and then I went to Ohio and then I won my age group, which was back then from 18 to 24. Um, and I was the first person in Denmark to, you know, get a podium at OCR World Championships. And just because the Danish community has always been quite big. And I was just, um, I, I came home and I, 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 for first of all, I think I've never cried that much in my life. I was so happy, you know, when I was, uh, won my age group back there in 2015. And I also... I was just really proud and I know it was, you know, I think it was the first time I really like kind of figured out how much it actually meant to me. I haven't even been, I know I didn't have been training in it for so long, but I was really focused and really, you know, dedicated about it for this time and then being able to do so well. And the reason why I did so well, I will say honestly, was also because there was this one obstacle that just a lot of people had a hard time doing. It was Platinum Rick. You know, I don't know if you mm -hmm. remember that one. And I managed to do that one. So that was also why I did really good in this race. It wasn't necessarily because I was a super fast runner back then. Um, and I think uh, just like... The memories from i remember when i was standing on the podium there i was like i'm gonna go home i'm gonna quit my job and i'm just gonna you know like do ocr professionally for the rest of my life it took a little bit longer before i decided you know to take that jump into it but uh, that was for sure the first time where i felt just overwhelmed about uh, being really proud and also just uh the joy that um it's it, it gave me, you know, not only the thing about winning, but the thing about, you know, prioritizing, really being focused at something and also like the joy of actually having found something that then made me really happy to do that. I was actually also good at, you know, like that combination is <laughs> really, really nice. And then, yeah, you know, the things I've sacrificed, I know it maybe for many is like, oh, I wasn't doing it pro, but back then, you know, I was like not doing any social things and I was like really, you know, focused on it. It meant a lot to me. Um, so, um, yeah, I was just proud. So I think that's my moment was back there in 2015. And then another one happened in 2018, uh, where it was the first time at the OCR World Championships where I signed up for the pro heat. 
And I was, I really didn't want to run pro back then. But my coach was like, you have to run pro. I was like, I'm not ready for it. And like anxiety and all these things. People always think that pros never get nervous before races. I promise you, we do. I always get so nervous. It's annoying. It's like, it's even worse than like the worst exam I've ever had I feel even worse you know before racism like so I always say to myself it's excitement but you know it's mm-hmm. just still really there um but that's also because it means a lot to me uh and then in 2018 I actually end up running and battling with Lindsay Webster for um you know first place because it was a 100 obstacle course it was wet it was slippery it was flat it was muddy that's kind of you know how I train all the time, flat, muddy, mm-hmm. in rain. Um, I just watched that race about a week ago on YouTube. Yeah, and of the course way. she outran me, which was totally fair, but it was just me, you know, that moment when somebody you really looked up to, like Lindsay, you're like, okay, wow, I'm actually, I was in front of her for a super short bit, you know, that really short bit, I was like, oh my God, you know, this is just, I was really, you know, overwhelmed and uh and then I came in second in that race um, in 2018. And it was just after that, I then got my Red Bull sponsorship, which then helped me um, also with the more financial support of then being more like to be pro, you know, um, mm-hmm. to almost live up the sport. Not totally. <laughs> now, I do want to get into your Red Bull. I want to get into your yes. Red Bull sponsorship. But first, 2015, yeah. you win your age group at Worlds. 2018 you take second overall how far in 2015 were you off of your time off the pro podium time Mm, i think i looked that i came in like sixth or seventh uh in 2015 but i will say that competition had increased significantly Mm -hmm. from 15 to 18 like just in general in the women's field yeah, the competition got deeper and yeah. and better, but yeah. at a world championship to move up five spots is, especially once you're already talking single digits, it's a huge, yeah. huge accomplishment. So what changed from 15 to 18 training-wise, or were you still doing just more of the same? Uh, well, no. So especially in the start of 18, a lot of things changed because I, well, so I finished my education or my environmental engineering degree in 2017. And then I actually went into a full-time job for half a year. (laughs) Not that long. You made it that long, huh? This is terrible. I cannot do my sport and like work full time. I'm so amazed about the people that actually, you know, manage to work full time and also do really good. It's, it's super hard, you know? Um, so then I went into a 50% of a full-time position in the start of 18 and just having that like surplus of time. And then, so timing more time, um, was one thing, but I also think the big thing for me was in 2016 when I got a OCR coach. So I went from, you know, doing like being in the Icelandic center, not training specifically for OCR. I've been training maybe half a year before 2015 specifically for OCR. 
Um, but then like also taking up more running and uh, trying to focus more on running. It was it still wasn't a lot, but it was still significantly more than what I did um, previously. And then, you know, having a coach making me a more structured plan and just telling me the things that uh, I didn't want to hear, but I kind of knew I had to work on and kind of hill you up okay have you done your upper body strength uh, training yes and you know all those making just somebody that kind of you know was um like following you and kind of you know to evaluate your progression all the time is really motivating because i like when i can kind of you know see okay now i was here okay now i can actually do these and these things i'm very uh you know that motivates me so uh also working with him helped a lot mm-hmm. You gave us some strength stats early. Yes. Five to seven push-ups on my knees. Yeah. Less than one pull-up. Let, let's talk about your running now. When you yes. first started, this is untrained Ida, or when you were doing your Icelandic yeah. workouts, what were your running metrics then? Uh, well, I think I think my fastest 5K was maybe 20, 23 and a half. Okay. minute uh, no yeah 23 and a half minutes on a 5k so over eight minutes per mile that'd be like 730 pace bracken oh 23 and a half oh yeah you're right kirk come on it's not a math show <laughs> i know i know it's not too but that was about it and there wasn't zero pull-ups and maybe you know these five to seven push-ups on my knees by the time you got to 2018 what yeah. were your running metrics there was more around uh, 20, uh, maybe a little less on a 5K, and I could do like 10 pull-ups, I would say, probably. Okay. Yeah. And where are we sitting right now? Um, I can do a lot of pull-ups now. No, um, well... <laughs> What's a lot? I think maybe 20 pull-ups wow. I can do now. Most women would say it's impossible for me to ever do 20 pull-ups. I have done a one rep max with 30 kilos recently. I felt like that was pretty good. It's a lot. You did one pull up with 30 kilos. And I also weigh probably between five to 10 kilos more than most of the OCR other OCR women. I'm already like, and it's not because I, I'm always saying I'm fat or anything like that. I'm just very muscular built. And it's also something with like my genetics. So I'm just, uh, I'm just like, a bit more you know i'm not like uh, how do you say that it's just i'm just uh quite muscular you know so mm-hmm. yeah so i do i do weigh a bit more than most other women i would expect okay yeah where's your running at 5k ish right now or at the peak mm-hmm. before injury yeah peak before injury was like just under 18 per 5k uh, and I do have a test the 1st of May where I'm running for a 1730. That's my okay. goal. So that's like the one I'm going to try to aim for. But I would probably say 1745 or 50 is where I'm at now. And my goal is to come around 1710, 1715 before world and still be as strong as I am. You know, that's the hard part, you know, yes. <laughs> it's not losing all the the strength uh, and still being, uh, but it is a bit harder when you still, because my upper body, you know, it's just like, it's 
heavy to carry on my my fast runs but i also just recently discovered carbon shoes nobody uh, like i've i've worked with a new, a new running coach uh, since mm-hmm. my injury and i think like so i have like my ocr coach and then i have a running coach so i kind of have the combination of those two and they talk a lot together and um he's a middle distance coach which i think has changed it a lot for me so i've worked a lot with like long distance running coach and it was just always a lot of volume and i think it's been hard for them to understand like the other aspects of ocr also so you also have because i've had a lot of like technique training and like you know because i do a lot of obstacle specific training i do a lot of training for example like the military courses do you know the one with like lots of walls and there's just been a lot of like pounding in my training because i've done a lot of like race simulation training a lot of training on obstacles and then also running very high volume was just not the good combination that was why i got injured um so like for him to understand that maybe like a bit more intensity and a bit less volume it's just it's i just my body just responds much better for that and now i finally feel like really fresh when i do my sessions but also really tired when I'm done with them. Where before I was just chronically a little bit tired in my legs constantly, which mm-hmm. was hard. And I feel like I run much less now, but I do run the same, if not faster now, which is very nice. And I have, and I use less time, you know, on my feet. That's that's the perfect world, right? Yeah. That is very, that is the good, yeah. Well, looking at your progression, you might be in the running for most improved throughout their OCR career. Because usually when we talk to someone who finds sport late, it's, oh, I jumped into a race and I won it, or I was top three, and people are like, hey, you're really good at this. You should keep doing it. And then they get incrementally better and become a monster. But they were already like a mini monster to begin. Where you were, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, you were just like a normal average person when you started, and now you're a monster. And usually you don't see that progression. Matt Novakovich back in the day said something, and he says lots of things, but... Uh, he he has these nuggets of wisdom from time to time, and he said, you are your third race in OCR. Okay. By the time you get into your third race, you pretty much know who you are. And it's not that that's your ceiling, but you can see your ceiling from your third race. Like a stud runner comes over, and if by their third race they haven't started to figure out some of the obstacles, they probably never will. And if a strong athlete comes over, and by their third race they still just can't even see the front pack of runners, they may never get there. And I don't know many people who break that mold, but you obliterate that mold. Your third race was not even in sight of what you're currently doing. And I would say you still haven't hit your ceiling. No. And that's also, that's also why it's, it's been like, it's been quite motivating because I've been able to take like quite big progressions up. And I also feel still, you know, within my running, there's been huge you know potential there to do and also you know in regards to my my strength i've just but i've also really surrounded myself by you know experts and i've really you know um i i think um i found like the right people that i really have trusted and we've had just like a good process during this Mm -hmm. and uh, i'm really dedicated once i do things and then i also I have a coach that nearly almost like my OCR coach, Thomas, he nearly wants that I win the world championships more than me. It's like, 
he's very, you know, dedicated on my behalf. It can be a little bit, you know, scary, but he's always been the one like, you can do more, but like, you can do all this. And I've been like, I cannot run the pro one, you know, then I actually end up doing second that year. So he's always been like a very, you know, uh, um, talking me up. I don't know how you say that on English. I'm yeah. sorry, but he's no, just right. been very uh, like, uh, you can do all this. And I've been a bit like in the other and like, oh, I don't think so, you know. So it's also taken some time, you know, believing myself and, and accepting, you know, the thing that it's just to see yourself as an athlete and to see yourself as a pro athlete because there was also a long progression for me from getting my education, you know, getting my first job, getting to work less than a full-time job, then going down to consulting, which is what I do now. So I still work a little bit. Um, and then, you know, the sport allowing the sport to take up more and more of my time because I've always also had a long period where it's like, well, it's my hobby or like, it's, it's something I do, but it's not like, it's not, I think maybe it's also a bit of the, how I grew up. My parents have been very like focused on education, 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 and you have to go out and get a job. And like, this is just a way of life. So uh, getting this like athletic outbranch, you know, I've just, I've had to figure out what it was for me of, and I was um, maybe a little afraid of taking the jump, but now I'm just um, so happy I did it, you know, and it's all about just um, daring to do it. And I also went to my boss and was like, well, I can work 50%. Do you want me or not? Because, you know, I want to do this on the side and that's the only way I can see it work. And then he ended up offering me the 50% position, but he could also have said no. And, but then I felt probably just have found a, part-time job or something else because I just knew inside I wanted to see where I could go with it and that's maybe also because as you say I've had a good progression and I also felt like well I haven't reached my peak and I still feel that I'm still like I haven't reached my full potential and that's why you know I'm probably first gonna stop when I feel like I've reached my full potential and it's there's still some percentages to be gained (laughs) there how old are you uh, I am 31. All right, I'm 34. Yeah. Kirk's 38. So have you gotten better? <laughs> I think we can both tell you you'll never feel like you've reached your full potential. Okay. Eventually you'll realize, oh, I'm over the hill. But you'll never think, oh, in this moment, that was my best. You'll do your best and then you'll realize, yeah, I'm pretty sure that I could be a little better than that. Okay, that's good to know, Greg. We'll just uh, uh, keep on having that mindset then. You brought up your coaches a number of times uh, up to this point. So obviously they're a big part of your uh, your system, your success. Uh, let's talk about that real quick. Um, you just seem to give them a lot of credit, and you refer to them yeah. a, a good bit, which which I appreciate as a coach myself. So I, I, I <laughs> yeah. just want I just want to hear what your thoughts are. Like what is what has been the power and value of having a coach to you? You've been sounds like you've been coached consistently since two thousand. 15-ish? Uh, 17. 17? 17. So was, for the last five years. Yeah, that's where I got Thomas, which was my OCR coach. And then I've worked with different running coaches, but I worked with Ulf, which is my running coach since uh, my injury. So like returning from injury. So it's actually only been about a year, but it's for sure been the best, you know, relationship. Okay. Coach athlete that I've had. Uh, Thomas Johansson. Oh, okay. Yeah. You were thinking Van Tonder. 
both OCR, both Red Bull. I thought we had that connection. Mm -hmm. Thomas has uh, been within, uh, he has done judo and MMA uh, most of his life. So he's uh, been within, is it called martial arts? Hmm? That like pile of, you know, uh, in English. Yeah, <laughs> there are some English words. I'm sorry that, you know, uh, I'm just uh, have, struggling a little bit to find. Um, but uh, so he's from like a bit of like a bit harder school, but he still has trained, you know, all different levels of athletes. And he has been like um, building OCR. So he's been like a, a constructor on OCR races. So it's also been like building and evolving obstacles. Um, so he's kind of been into OCR and then he's just been in a other kind of elite sport world, which was within the, the martial arts. So he knows about being an athlete because he's been that himself. Uh, but of course, it's in a different. So that's why he knows a lot about the strength and grip training and like the way of doing race simulations. And because he's used to like in judo, there's a lot of movements and you just practice them again and again and again to really get them under your skin. So there's a lot of like muscle memory and things that we've practiced with that. But he's always been like the running. You have to find somebody else because that's not where, you know, but he's been honest about that. And that's uh, um, been been good. And then, yeah. I've had Ulf with uh, the running, who's a middle uh, distance coach. Yeah, he coaches some of the really good Swedish runners. He's actually from Sweden. So a lot of what we do is um, virtual communication, I think. Um, and then Thomas is more like hands-on. We see each other a lot in the gym. He works where I work out all the time and things like that. And he also comes with me sometimes to races and like we do um, prep, you know, walking through the course the day before and kind of, putting up a strategy for how I'm going to race and things like that, especially for the bigger events, which I've also found have given some extra percentages um, in regards to my performance. I would, for example, not have made the stupid error I did at St. Louis Obispo if I had been with Thomas on the course the day before, where I kind of, I missed an option, like I missed some of the marking right before the goal for a sled drag mm. uh, pull. Uh, and it was just like, that's just something I know if I've walked the course with him the day before, that would probably not have happened. <laughs> so that's thing you should learn, you know, because he's very structured before races with like everything where maybe I can forget that a little more when I'm alone. So um, that happens to the best of us, yeah. that race brain. Uh, but his yeah. coaching is like a whole, like over the years. Um, sounds like you found value in that. Like, what would you just say? Because you're such, you're a high level athlete with a coach and some of the high level yeah. athletes here in the state have coaches. Some don't, I think it's probably a 50, 50 split maybe. Um, like just what, what do you think it's done for you? What's the, yeah, what are the, the biggest value you find out of it? Well, I feel what I really have gotten out of it is one thing is like, con continuity so like somebody that makes sure you actually do what, what accountability like you yeah so something with somebody that actually is interested with that you're following your training plan i know it can sound a bit basic but somebody that's actually like oh but how was the running session the other day because if it's only yourself and all the workouts are up to yourself, then maybe it would be, you would be more prone to skip a workout. But when you know somebody's asking you like, how was it? How, like all these things, uh, it's maybe, you know, uh, you know, that, not that a plan has to be super much like, uh, you have to do every single session because of course 
I vary compared to how my body feels. There's a lot of, you know, listening to how I feel. That's a very big part of it. But just in general, that somebody is actually, you know, just following your progress and is really, you know, um, yeah, interested in, in, in your progression, I think is, is quite important, but also getting some structure and getting some like hard honesty on like, okay, well, you need to build some more upper body strength before we can train these obstacles because you can keep on training them. But if you don't have strong enough biceps or you don't have enough pull power, then you're not going to be able to do them efficient enough as how we want you to do them. So also like a lot of just doing some of this more basic training that I was in need of because I, you know, don't have this athletic background so like some of this just understanding basic concepts of fitness you know that i didn't know you know i have been training in fitness but i don't have like a background other than what i've learned on like youtube and reading different like books i've gotten here and there but i haven't really you know taking that like deep down now i'm knowing more and more about it but in the start i didn't know that much about you know strength training and and, and things like that so um just having support with that has been very motivating and then i mean the thing that's also a special about both of the coaches i have now i feel is also i really feel they first of all believe in me and can see the potential and they really want me to do good which is also like a and like empowering thing you know that people believe in you and behind you and really yeah want you to do good that's kind of something you want to show them that you can do that <laughs> if it yeah i'm satisfied with that answer because those are the things that's why i have a job i think all of the things that you listed <laughs> I, I, I was just i was just curious what your take was on that being a high performing athlete with a coach and still finding value once you steven start to learn as you go yeah. could you probably coach somebody now with what you've learned the answer is yes you probably could but yet you still choose to I probably could seek out yeah. guidance and so i was just curious the value you found in that and that makes sense in terms of support, I think it's time to talk about the, the sponsorships that you have accrued because in the in the trail running, the mountain running, the running world, Red Bull and Solomon are two of the holy grails. Uh, yeah. Not that they're always the most lucrative, but they get behind their athletes and they support. You want to do something? Awesome. Let's make a, a movie about it. You know, it, they, they do big things. So I want to know what the life of a Red Bull athlete really is like, what that partnership looks like <laughs> on your end. Yeah, it's true. I am I am really grateful for my Red Bull um, sponsorship. So I think what was different with getting Red Bull was for them, it's like you performing well is really important. Where sometimes in not that sometimes marketing is really important also as an athlete, like you're also marketing value. And of course, Red Bull also uses me for marketing value, but they also really want you to be the best within your sport. So they have like a really good support system of helping their athlete become better. So some of the good things that I have gotten support from them is, for example, you know, they're like, but what is it you need to become better? Well, I need a running coach. Okay, well, then we're going to pay for your running coach. Or is it, you know, um, I need more tests of my VO2 max or I need uh, 
to go somewhere where I can run into mountains. So they're very like, um, they really want to know, well, what is it we can support you with that can take your athletic performance to the next level, which is something I feel is quite unique that it's really like they care about you actually performing well more than how many Instagram followers you have, you know? Um, so that's Sounds really important nice. for them. Yeah. And then, and they have this, um, like, uh, heavenly place called the athlete performance center where you can go go down and there are coaches and there are like biomechanics uh nerds and there are medics and there are tons of physios and therapists and all these things and then you just they can like test you or if you're recovering for an injury they can help you out with all like sorts of things so with my i also feel like that's why my injury progression has maybe went faster than some like Leon because I was really lucky to go down there and then I just got like checked out of different doctors and all these like people that really work with athletes so you don't mm -hmm. have to go through like the Danish healthcare system that just like check everything and they do it super fast and you kind of get an answer and this is your rehab plan and then just go from there because they want you to rehab faster so you can come out and perform again <laughs> so um of course, yep. it's also positive with them, but them using so many money and actually having a facility to support their athletes like that is very unique, I would say. Um, so that's something that I've been, yeah, very grateful for. That's extra element. And then just the athlete network is also really good um, in general. Like no matter where you travel, there's always a Red Bull office or something you can come hang out or there are other athletes that are really, you know, prone to help you with things. So, um, I didn't know that side of it. I didn't know there was a network satellite offices. It's really nice. You know, no matter where it is like, Oh, come like I was in Canada from sign. Oh yeah. The Montreal uh, office here. And then there's some Red Bull athlete was like, Oh, we can take you for a trail run. And we can like, so people are just really nice when you come, especially when, if you're like a little bit within the same, sports so like mm -hmm. um, climbing running yeah that kind of thing and i also thomas you know the other ocr red bull athlete i've also done a lot of things with him yeah i'm trying to i'm really trying to put red uh, push red bull us to see if uh, vj can become a red bull athlete oh, <laughs> he would be a good fit <laughs> because mm. he would be a very good fit yeah so i'm kind of you know but uh because i want more obstacle racing athletes within red bull so uh, i'm trying to uh... he's a safe bet too you yes, got another you know, 10 like, years out of that guy it was like mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah he's for sure gonna yeah have him a bit longer than me <laughs> so yeah i had a question about that i guess but ocr sponsorships and then a big you know sponsor like red bull and this is a personal selfish curiosity on mm -hmm. the sponsorship front like, how does that conversation get started? Did did somebody just happen to reach out to you based on performances? Did you make a connection at a race? Was there an application process? There's a lot of people out there looking for big title sponsors, yeah. and rightfully they deserve them. Like, how did that yeah. exact process go for you? Well, what I think is a little exciting that I found out. So the reason why they wanted an OCR red bull athlete in denmark was because red bull decided to host an red bull ocr event in denmark so it's actually because if they have like big events related to the sport they would often want 
an athlete that they can also use as like a marketing people within you know the sport so they were doing a really big ocr race in denmark in denmark the red bull conquered the castle so they needed somebody you know to kind of um advertise for this one so that was why they took in so they kind of looked who's the best within ocr so they took in me leon and nikolai and we were like all uh the first year for them as ambassadors and then when we weren't there they were like oh we actually have the red bull athlete program we all knew that you know but we're like okay really and then it's like so we're gonna send in you know your applications um to the red bull headquarters and then based on your performances at the ocr world championships which was the one in 2018 then we're gonna see how it goes and then because i actually managed to get second that year which was beyond what i expected myself you know the headquarters were like oh, okay maybe this blonde scandinavian girl is actually quite good at what she does and then they decided to give me the the athlete sponsorship after that so had your coach not pushed you to run the pro race you would <laughs> have done the true. age group and you wouldn't be a red bull athlete right now oh you don't tell him that <laughs> <laughs> I already owe him like uh, so much so you know I mean yes but that is true that is true yeah probably not sometimes we need people to see in us what we don't see yes exactly and that's also why that's also why we've worked together so many years and he also knows I, I can do a lot of training myself but I just love working with him you know we're also really good friends now work together so long and I like to have him with me at my races so you know it's also just uh I'm like a, a, what you call a stock he invested in early when I was able mm. to do nothing. And now Smart he's getting man. the benefit of, you know, just coming with me to races and also enjoying the bit good thing of all the time and energy he's put into me because there's been a lot. Speaking yeah. on the ambassador front, you see a million ambassadors out there these days. Um, and a lot of people listening to this podcast are ambassadors of certain products. Do you think the juice is worth the squeeze there? taking on an ambassadorship which is typically a lot of work for the ambassador and very little return yeah. they get some product uh, do you think you got lucky or do you think that it's worth seeing ambassadorships through just in case i would though say you can of course say i got lucky but also i started as an ambassador so you know back in 2015 i think when i started to take my instagram a little bit serious more seriously because i actually found out okay that's also an important way to get sponsors so a lot of the um, agreements i had back then was ambassadorships for example innovate i've worked with for really many years and it was not like a paid partnership at all in for many years but it was kind of you know building that relationship so i also feel it's important like what's been important for me is also been brands brands that i really like for, i've used innovates a lot you know so it was kind of just taking that and then like asking about oh could could you want to give me some shoes and then maybe you know what about next year can i get a little bit more what about this one trip can you help sponsor that one so it's also about building a bit you know a relationship and figuring out what can i give to them and maybe if i do something that's a little more extraordinary than just like the basics then maybe they would want to enhance you know the, the sponsorship so a lot of my sponsorship has also been like a building relation over um a couple of years the same with garmin and um yeah 
Those are some big names. <laughs> Innovate, Red Bull, Garmin. Yeah. Uh, long answer short, the answer is yes. Maybe these people who are, because I get DMs, I'm going to say every day right now, asking mm. me to be an ambassador of something. And a lot of times it's things I don't care about. Um, every every other day, let's not say, every other day I'm getting some sort of ambassadorship thing and I don't respond. Mostly because I'm not interested in the product. I feel like if it's products that you would use anyway, then, right. then I mean, then I feel like it's a win-win. But of course, you know, you should think about not selling yourself too cheap or what you're i saying. mean if red bull snuck into my dms would be a different conversation <laughs> yeah. that's, that's Ida, true I, I do want you to repeat that last statement you said you might want to think about what not selling yourself too cheap 100 percent. i don't know if you can say that in yeah that. knowing your yeah. worth knowing yeah your worth, exactly yeah. no and i've also ooh, i've i've it's been a steep learning curve for me also because i don't know i think there's also a little bit difference in like european or maybe it's a scandinavian thing compared to like american people because what i found out when i came uh to you to us is you know when i talk about so well I've, i'm doing like okay well in ocr i have like a little bit of world podiums and you know i in, in denmark it's not sometimes we excuse a little you know too much for ourselves because we it's not seen well to brag you know about yourself so talking to sponsors and having to you know talk yourself up and like setting yourself a value is really hard where i feel like i like sometimes like the american self-esteem you know a bit more like you know i'm actually doing freakingly well at this race and i'm the best ambassador you can get you know i'm gonna like show you guys how you know it's just like some of that self-esteem i feel like i could get need a little more in some of my uh, sponsor conversations so uh but it uh, it is really hard to put a price on yourself and on market and value especially because if it was mostly up to yourself i would just want to you know train and do those things but you also have to accept that like right now for example the social media platform is also where the sponsors can see both like how it's going in your races like how you're performing but also you know how you're helping their brand you know grow so it is a thing you have to accept is also an important thing of a partnership so um yeah i think that's but but i wouldn't i wouldn't be um ambassador for anything especially also think about um like your credibility as a person if you're like one day oh this is the thing and then the next day is a new thing it's you know you would rather want it to be a long-term relationship i would say <laughs> couldn't agree more i i just think there's a lot of people out there listening who are in that ambassadorship camp a lot of the age groupers are our listener base and they they get potential opportunities or think about reaching out and is it worth the investment and maybe it potentially is if you stick something out is what i'm hearing with the right right fit we will call it yeah yeah all you have to do is go take second at worlds in that ambassador role yeah that does help that does help i would say i guess at the end of the day there's no replacement for winning no i mean it's the uh, quickest way yeah it, that, that is the quickest way i would say it is yeah. Bracken, what's the quickest way to lose all your sponsors? Could you give us a lesson in that? What is that about? <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I like to rib him a little bit. If you stop posting on social media and you stop racing, that's a good way to, yeah. to lose all your sponsors. Huh. It Noted. Is. It is. Yeah. He can handle it, Ida. 
He can handle it. Listen, I just received the best care package I've ever received yesterday, Kirk. So I can't talk about it right now, but I'm I'm balling on a budget right now. Is there, is this a care package that I may be able to take advantage of? Yeah, I have some stuff for you in there. Yeah, I've you gotta, do. I gotta ship it over your way. Yeah. I gotta talk to the guy. I don't know because I want to thank him on here, but I don't know if we're allowed to. I don't know if this was a if it's publishable yet. Little teaser in the water, Kirk. I've got a I've got a shipment coming your way. Throw some chum in the water. Um, eat up. Uh, two things I want to get to is, well, what your plans are going to be coming up, but I want to dial in specifically on something I noted with your U S trip beyond traveling different time zones then moving across the country as you went, staying at altitude, then coming down, like your body was just in a state of chaos for three weeks, right? Like, let's be honest. And one that's not a lot of things people talk about is like the, how much more difficult it is to perform well while traveling. And then more notably, something you said about your San Luis Obispo race, which was the end cap to your U.S. trip. Um, I'm going to say it's safe to say you were slightly disappointed in your performance. You said you didn't have that grr. You said I didn't have that grr. And yeah, that's true. What I want to yeah. get to, and then the floor is yours, specifically with that is, first of all, you performed outstanding, I think, on your trip. Um, against, like, you know, you had Alex Walker in Florida. You had a host of a deep field in Savage Race, and then the deepest field came in San Luis Obispo. Yeah. Do you think you ran a week short, like like racing so much so often, cramming it in? Do you think that factored into just maybe like having one notch less than what you normally would have in the last race? Or like how do you feel about that racing a lot and how it affects performance? Mm. That's mostly what I'm getting at um here like what is your take on that your whole experience with the three weeks in a row racing so much all of that for sure so i think the reason why i was um most disappointed was um it wasn't really the thing about the placement you know it's always sad just to miss the podium but it was more the St. Louis Obispo was the most important race for me out of, you know, the different races that I had. And the reason why it was the most important was this was what I saw as my chance to figure out where I'm at compared to the hardest North American competitors. So like this was really where I wanted to see, okay, where am I at? You know, I know that I'm probably not going to beat Lindsay Webster, but I want to know how close I am to her or like things like that. And I felt also because this was where there's most media and a lot of people are talking about this race that it didn't show off where I truly felt I was in my performance level. So like the, the take home for me was also hard to evaluate on because I didn't feel like I raced 100% Ida. It was kind of, you know, a 70%, uh, 80% Ida or something like that. Um, like how come? How so? So so one thing I did kind of wrong, which my running coach was really mad at me about, and it sounds like a rookie mistake, and it's maybe a little bit so, but pro athletes still make mistakes. We're only human. Um, so I went to altitude 2300 height meters in Colorado, and I didn't tell my running coach because I was like, yeah, you know, and then I ran a really hard quality session that he gave me and I was like almost passing out two or three times during this run because I couldn't breathe and my lungs hurt like so much. Um, but after that 
run. I was just, my body was just destroyed. Yeah, I was really feeling, and it was maybe the Tuesday before, Monday or Tuesday before St. Louis Obispo. But I, so I talked to my running coach after and he's like, well, how high are you? I was like, I, because he always asked, how did the run go? I was like, it went terrible. I was feeling like shit and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, how, and then I wrote him, well, maybe it's because of the altitude. And then he was like, altitude, question mark, question mark. Like, are you in altitude? And I was like, well, I'm in 2300 height meters. I don't know what that is in. 7,000 change. I was in Colorado Springs, you know, and he was like, well, no quality running in altitude when you've never done altitude running ever, you know. So, um, yeah, so he was a little mad and that kind of just set my body a bit back. And I had like a little bit of like uh, my lungs were feeling, I had really hard time breathing. And even when I came down to L.A., I really tried to have some good in quality sessions, but I was really just lacking power and I had a really hard time breathing, you know, it was a little weird. I do have asthma and things like that, but it wasn't really the same feeling. It was just like, uh, I just, yeah, felt powerless in my runs. And I was kind of thinking, because sometimes it happens up to races that I feel a little bit tired, but it's also my body kind of just preparing and kind of keeping a bit the energy in prepping up for the race. And then usually when I'm race, I'm all fire. So I was also thinking, okay, maybe it's just my body, you know, saving the reserves and getting ready for this race. Um, but then I go out there and I start, you know, running. And because it was a really flat, very fast race, it's a race where you have to want to push hard. And I wanted to push hard, but my body just didn't want to push hard. I ran that whole race in zone four. So like I wasn't up at zone five at all. And usually I'm, you know, kind of up touching where it really, really hurts because I like those shorter races. That's actually what I'm usually good at. And I'm good at being in that really painful zone. So that's actually what I'm usually really comfortable with, even though it sounds weird. You know, I really like that when it really, that part where it really hurts, but just for a short amount of time, you know, that's, that's what I like. So I was just uh, a bit frustrated and I was like looking at my watch sometimes and like my pace was just... 15 seconds slower than I usually run. So I, I tried pushing, but my body just didn't want. And, you know, it's just a field where you cannot have, uh, you cannot be not 100% if you want to, you know. So I was actually really grateful. That's also why I wrote after race, like a lot of things went good and some went bad because based on where my body was at, it was actually a really good race. And I, you know, completed, I completed all obstacles in first, like I didn't have any penalties or anything. So a lot of things actually went quite good. I just didn't have enough power. And then I did that little, um, like there was a confusion right in the end of the race where I had to redo some of the sled pull because I had to like restart it and run around. So I also lost like really valuable seconds towards the end. And then Alex passed me right there. And I was just at a point where I was just so tired. And usually I'm because I'm so competitive, I'm always like the type that never gives up. But right there when she passed me, I was just like, I'm just so tired. Like I, I don't have anything left to give. I had like my body had nothing left right there. And I think it's the slowest hoist I've done like ever. And it was a little sad because I lost like 
actually quite a lot of seconds to her just on that very short last part. Um, but I was just, there just wasn't anything left. And I think it was more the reflection of, I didn't feel like that race showed my full potential based on where I feel at, like where I'm at. Um, and because a lot of people just put a lot of value into the U.S. National Series race, and because I don't race that often against the Americans, it's also like a lot of people will use this race to kind of put me, so how good is Ida compared to the rest mm -hmm. will be based a lot on this race. And that was just that one race where I actually didn't do that well. So I think that was kind of a little bit what annoyed me because I felt like it didn't show off where I actually felt personally I was at so um i can understand that that was my long my long version <laughs> but i've also reflected a lot on that race but sometimes it's good with those races that actually don't go your way because you really think about like what you can optimize and i'm always just even more eager you know after this race to like coming back and showing showing them all you know I could do better than that so <laughs> yeah so I'm, I'm okay now no problem and I mean Alex and Emma and Lindsay are all amazing competitors and they totally deserve it that they they were just better than me so well it's a good reminder to me that we never truly know how people are reacting or feeling or thinking because after the race myself and a couple other people were talking about it and my takeaway mm. was I was very impressed with you because you ran three races leading up to this race you're now nine time zones away from your home yeah. i believe yeah and you just came down from altitude and you ran the fastest course that our u.s national series has ever had against yeah. the best depth and you were in third place until a quarter mile ago yeah that's true so i'm thinking if running's not her jam and she just ran in third place at the fastest race against the best women in her fourth race of the past two weeks. And she just came down from altitude. And I didn't even know that was 80% or 70% Ida. I thought that's a huge, huge performance, actually. Thank you. So then to hear that you left thinking, oh, I'm frustrated with that. <laughs> I think it's important for me to remember that we have no idea what's going on with people. But important for the athlete to remember that the outside world sometimes is not as critical as the athlete no, is. that's true. Yes, and I have to remember that also. And sometimes it can maybe also be just things you put on yourself, you know. Maybe right. it's not even, it's more just how you think people think about you because there's always something about the outside pressure when you're doing well, you know, because people expect you to do well and how do you cope with that? And then when you don't do well, often you see a lot of people, like maybe you... I'm more prone to hear the negative things and that's mm -hmm. just stupid, but you know, that's, uh, that's an athlete. how we're built. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then we, yeah, sometimes I'm also, it sounds weird, but sometimes I like, you know, going a little down at the low because then when I feel like a bit bad, then it's, I'm much better at, you know, getting up again, you know, sometimes it's okay to just be a little like mad about a race and because then it often just makes me feel more empowered afterwards mm -hmm. so uh, yeah kind of a coping strategy <laughs> i think that's a relatable feeling feeling like you didn't you get done with a race and you feel like you didn't show your true potential i think that's shared by many 
And I would yeah. argue coming, going and spending a stint at altitude briefly before coming back down is probably, and then running the fastest race possible is a recipe for disaster. So that makes it even yes. more impressive. I mean, it really does. If you had to go and do like a long beast race, it wouldn't have factored in as much, but that short spicy stuff. And then hearing you couldn't get your heart rate where you wanted it. It's like Bracken and I talk facts and excuses mm. uh, that, you know, after races, and you didn't make those on your post or anything, but uh, it sounds like a lot of fact talking right there, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah, and and it was so funny because I always have like sometimes when my body experiences this, there's always this just disconnection between what my brain wants and what my body does, and I can get so frustrated, like why my body doesn't want me to like want to do what I want it to do because I'm like you you I know you can push zone five like what's happening you know so it's just it's just these funny like monologues that's going on sometimes inside your head when the body's just not there you know and sometimes you just have to accept that's just how it is and it is a sport where a lot of things can go wrong and you know that's just how it is so um you also have to remember all the things you did well so that's also why you know i hit my spear which i was really happy about i don't want to talk about somebody else's spear throw that at yeah that thank pace. you thank but... you for that yeah <laughs> see now i'm getting it that's Sorry. deserved <laughs> yeah. i was about to say and there were no big real obstacles that were failable there and so no. you didn't get to use your strength and then i remember no. kirk had a big failable yeah. obstacle yeah. i've had a year already yeah let's not this this episode's about ida you jerks yeah yeah, let's not. Let's not. No, you're on the same thing she was talking about. You're on your downswing. Yeah. You get to yes. be frustrated, and then your yeah, exactly. your glorious ascension will be that much better. I like. It. I mean, I like you know that first run after you've done a bad race. I also think I heard on the podcast you Kirk just running crazy down some uh, crazy run. It's just like to just get that anger out. You know, I also have that one. You know, did you have one of those after your race? Y- yes, I also. Have you did one of those. Yes. Yeah. So good for you. uh, And I usually go to the track though for that one because that's kind of where I can get my. I don't have the mountains for that, but the track is gonna be like fired up right there. Felt, yeah. I could feel my legs for days. (laughs) Oddly therapeutic about smashing yourself. We're all a little messed up, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Let's uh, let's just move towards what's coming up this year for you then. What? uh, Yeah. As we're looking to wrap this thing up, what uh, what do you got on the horizon? Ooh, well, so the only problem with going to race in U.S. is now I want to come more back and race even more. And now I already did like my race schedule, which actually did not include any more of the U.S. National Series races. So, um, but now I'm like considering, ah, uh, might I be able to squeeze in one? What I am though considering, and with a seventy percent, I would say possibility of doing is I will probably gonna do the North American Championships, mm. because as far as I know, within Spartan rules, I have to look it up though. Is that I think I'm qualified from doing top, being number four at St. Louis Obispo. Am I then qualified for the North American? I believe championships? so. Yes. So I think I might do that one in uh, British Columbia there in end of August. Um, 
So that's probably going to be the next time that I'm going to be in U.S. I'm going to do the world championships for sure. Yeah, that announcement that it's now a super distance doesn't make you upset, I assume. That, that made me really happy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all the long longer distance but i'm like yay now it's maybe finally gonna be like a bit more up to the obstacles i know i still want the running of course to be the most dominant thing but i actually like that it maybe can be you know a little bit faster and a bit more obstacle dense i still mm-hmm. hope though they bring some of the harder obstacles even though it's just because i know they usually make the obstacles harder on the beast course so i still hope that they don't put down too much that um level of obstacle we'll see yeah so i'm gonna do that one i'm also gonna do the adventure ocr world championships in vermont um i'm going to do the spartan european championships which is in uk and then i'm going to do the uh, associated european championships which is my next big thing so i started totally in reverse order actually now so i'm building now the next three months to the European Championships, which is going to be in Italy in mid of June. So that's like my next big thing. And then I'm going to build again for the North American Championships slash the Adventure World Championships. And then like the Spartan European Championships is actually quite around the same. So there are like three kind of big races there. So I'm going to have to figure out how to entangle that one. And then the last one would be the Spartan World Championships. So I'm going to have a lot of uh, racing to do. And then there are the European races. So I'm doing Nordic races, which is a Danish league. Um, and then I'm doing something called the OCR series, which mm-hmm. is a uh, strong Vikings series. Um, so I'm doing a race here in um, end of April, which is the first race they have in their OCR series, which is in Belgium. And... I'm probably going to do the finals in that one. I'm hoping to have time maybe for one or two toughest, which is the Swedish one. I love the toughest race events, but unfortunately, they always put their races on the same days as the Nordic race, which is the big Danish one. And that's the one I've won like nine times in a row, and there's a pretty big money payout. I think it's 10 times in a row I've won it. So, you know, it's kind of, you know, when you're still not earning a ton of money, you know, on racing, you know, taking those more, not easy wins, that would be mean to say, but, you know, taking those would be, you know, a good idea. So, because that's one thing that's a little bit different from like European racing compared to US is that our competitions are more like scattered out, which means that the money prizes you can win are also more scattered out, which somehow forces us to race more because the money payouts are a bit, you know, smaller, but then the competition can also be less hard where in us it's kind of all gathered in the Spartan and Savage, you know, it's kind of the money in the competition is the same place, which I really like because it makes it a bit easier. But in Europe, there are so many different race directors and they're all having their own series and all finals and things like that, which has money prizes. They're not like at all in the same size amount as the North American Championship Series. But they, so it's just, yeah, it's just a bit more um, all over the place. So you kind mm-hmm. of have to figure out how to plan in your race. It's actually quite hard in uh, Europe, I would say, to figure out how to plan in your race calendar. And then the last thing is I really want to do a high rocks because um, I haven't tried that. And I was signed up for one in March 2020 in 
in Germany, but I just didn't get to do it. So I'm probably going to do one of those just to, just to see, just to try it, you know, because I've always been like, I would be good at that, but I've just haven't had the chance to try one. And we don't really have Deca over here. Like it's not that big. It'll reward all that upper body muscle you're, you're exactly. claiming over there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So that is my uh, non-simple OCR schedule for this year. So, yeah. It's a lot of championship races and a lot of big it time is, racing. It is. Yeah. That's also what I'm a little bit concerned about. But I feel like it will be possible. But it's also me trying to squeeze in that North American championships. But I just yeah. really wanted to do a race more. But I might also consider just to stay in U.S. or Canada afterwards because it's only one month out of Vermont. Uh, the adventures so maybe stay in. Yeah, because that would help with the traveling and the time zone difference. Because that's a you shouldn't underestimate like the load on the body from just traveling and just not staying a place where you know where the gym is and the regular running, you know, just that kind of structure you have in your everyday mm -hmm. just becomes a bit harder. And like with food and with sleep, if you sleep at the shitty motels, <laughs> no, I'm sorry, me and Leon had some interesting experiences in Florida with, with motels. So it's just, you know, you need, you need proper sleep. And some of those things are, can just be harder, you know, when you're traveling, uh, and, uh, don't want to use, you know, too much money traveling. So yeah, <laughs> that's, uh, also a charm. Yeah. I think, uh, I think you're going to have to choose a place other than VJ's house to stay on that trip. Yes. Unfortunately. That's true. I yeah, I really want to go back to Colorado, but uh, I already told to my running coach, I was like, oh, and then between, and then I can go back. And he's like, nope, not going to happen. <laughs> it's like, you can go to Flagstaff, he said, that will be okay. But he's like, not all the way up in Colorado Springs. It's just too, too much altitude. It's too high. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't feel bad. I lived there for three years and I never had a good interval session. <laughs> really never man i was so surprised i was like i heard it was a little bit hard but i did not at all expect it to be like that it was really an interesting feeling you know yeah it was yeah weird kind of feeling suffocated while you're running really slow <laughs> that's exactly it yeah. <laughs> well Ida, to wrap up here we just did a our, the shoes we recommend episode for every yeah. distance every terrain what are you currently racing in? You just listed off all your races for the year. What are going to be your go-to shoes this year? So I have been racing in the Innovate X Talon for many years. Mm -hmm. I saw some G235s on your feet. Yes, yes. I still love that shoe. I, it, it suits me really, really well. The grip is really well. Um, yeah, I... Yes, that that will be the shoe I'll be racing. It it depends if we have something with like a quite hard layer. I might consider running in the Terra Ultra that they have mm -hmm. um, instead. But I the X Talon is because it's a light shoe. It's a grippy shoe. It it fits me really good. I I just I've raced in in it for so long, and I feel like especially after they've gotten you know the graphene grip and they've also enhance like um the top of it has sometimes been a little bit um like um flimsy 
yeah a little bit so like they kind of improved that a lot with some that was some of the feedback we gave like in some of the older way was like a really meshy front when now it's kind of gotten a bit more like harder on the on the front which i feel like uh has improved it a lot so um yeah so that's gonna be the shoe that i'll probably run in for most of my races i would say yeah simple's good one shoe to yeah. rule them all yeah yeah that's true yeah i actually don't know i actually don't change it up a lot i usually just run in that one yeah i i do i'm i think i'm a bit afraid of shifting to anything i have run in the um terra ultra which they call um trail fly now but mm -hmm. um because that's a bit like it's a bit less grippy a bit more flat a bit more stable um so I also like that one a lot, but I just really like when they're not too heavy, you know. I feel yeah. like the lighter the shoe, the better. So, But I did want to see, like, I've always been interested in seeing after now when I've run a little in carbon shoes on the track, it's like to have, like, a carbon version of a trail shoe. I don't know if that's, you guys would probably know if there is is a carbon version of a trail shoe, but I was like... There's a few. It's tricky because of stability, but people are working yeah. on it. Okay, but that would be interesting, mm -hmm. you know. That would be, uh, yeah. I I nearly considered wearing my carbon shoes for the, for the flat Sanders or Pittsburgh race. It would have worked. Like, yes, but it's really not grippy though. So I would not have done Olympus as fast, but maybe it would have been a payoff. I don't know. No, because uh, that was uh, that was a fast one. Yeah. Yeah, you could have got away with a road shoe in San Luis Obispo. Yeah. There was a little mud in the first like half mile, and then I think yeah. you'd have been fine. Yeah. Um, Bracken, any other questions you want to wedge in there? I'm a happy man. It's good. Well, where can people follow your uh, your your racing season? And you? Um. Well, I am most active on Instagram. I would say with. Ida Matilde, <laughs> I'm saying it in Danish. Ida Matilde, I think is how uh, people often say it. So is Steensgaard your maiden name? Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. So, so my Ida Matilde is actually both first names. So it's kind oh. of, yeah, so it's kind of a combi name. Yeah. So did I get your name right or wrong on the this podcast? Heading. Well, I usually only use Ida, but because of Instagram, because I've used Ida Matilde a lot, then, you know, I've just been, you know, I like it. So I I, I don't mind if people say that, but it can be either or. It's not What's your government name? Ida Matilde Rubens Steensgaard. Got it. Well, stick to Yeah, yeah a little. But then I've also taken up TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to see the Bless your less, heart. The less serious side of me, me dancing or doing different. No, I don't dance that much on TikTok. But I do. It's a funny media, you know. It's a bit less serious, and sometimes I like that because I sometimes I'm a little bit of a silly person. I think <laughs> I feel like I'm funny sometimes posting my <laughs> fun cat videos or something on Instagram. Um, but you know, it's kind of I like that media because it's a bit less just. Um, serious um so so i also do have a TikTok, but but instagram will definitely be where you'd find like my race recap and results and and the more serious part and my training regular training uh, days and what i do just everyday life for an athlete <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, you Danes do a good job of uh, of keeping us updated on what you're doing. Yes, yeah. we're a small uh, social media maggots, or I don't know what you call this. We use a lot of time on social media, sometimes a little too much, but uh, yeah. <laughs> you guys have a lot of energy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, so, but really thank you for having me. I've been listening to your podcast a lot, so um, yeah, I'm uh, honored to be able to be a part of it and congratulations with your new sign you've gotten like this big metal <laughs> I, sign that was pretty I've cool got, uh, yeah that that sucker's <laughs> so heavy i can't really hang it on my wall i found out i gotta find something sturdy to, okay. to things like 30 pounds yeah i can imagine it looks yeah, like thanks uh, thanks on the congrats on my sign Ida. yes yes <laughs> well i thought it was cool yeah. it is cool <laughs> Well, Ida, thanks for making time. I know the time difference is always tricky with time zones here, but we appreciate having you on, and we really look forward to watching your journey this year. Thank you. I'm also excited to see what happens when I come back to U.S. ground <laughs> mm-hmm. sometime soon. Well, well, at least see you then. Yes. Yeah.